Welcome to the Everyone's a Critic Movie Review Podcast. I'm your co-host, Bob Zerl. With me, as always, is professional film critic, Sean Patrick, and Jeff Lasseter. Visit us What's at up? IHateCritics.net, Everyone's a Critic Podcast.com. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Our handle is CriticsPod. Uh, listen to us at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Alexa, all your podcatchers. Uh, we are at Patreon as well, patreon.com slash CriticsPod. It's the best way to help support the podcast. Help us do more road trips. Uh, we also have our T Public link uh, over at IHateCritics.net. Click on that link in the upper right-hand corner or search Critics Pod at tpublic.com. Uh, Jeff, where can people get your artwork? JeffLasseter.com is my website. All right, Sean, where can people read your reviews? Uh, this week, I would encourage people to go to beat.media. I wrote a piece on a song called Voices Carry by Till Tuesday. That is maybe my favorite thing I've ever written. Uh, and I would really love to, for people to uh, check that out. I don't usually get to write about music, but I sat down to write a piece on a different movie and then was listening to Till Tuesday. And I'm like, I got to write about this song. For some reason, I got to write about this song. And I did. And now I'm kind of very, I'm very, very happy with how it turned out. So beat.media, B-E-A-T, or geeks.media for the movie stuff. All right. <clears throat> and we will have the links, most of the links anyway, posted in our show notes uh, that you can check out as well. Uh, I'm going to actually step out, and you guys are going to run the podcast, and I'll be back a little bit later. Uh, but uh, anything you guys want to discuss before I step out? Can you guess? Uh, take Just take a guess What who liked... Ant-Man and, and what we thought of it. <laughs> oh, yeah, it was Ant-Man this week. Uh, I'm going to... Based on the fact that you're asking me, I'm going to assume you liked it and Jeff didn't. All right, we'll see you later, Bob. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I will be back for Flick Chart at the end. All right. Have fun, guys. Thanks, Bob. Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania stars uh, Paul Rudd once again in the role of Scott Lang slash Ant-Man. Evangeline Lilly, of course, back as Wasp. We've got uh, Michelle Pfeiffer and Michael Douglas back as well. But the star of the movie is clearly Jonathan Majors, who plays Kang the Conqueror, who has found himself uh, uh, banished to the quantum realm where he's taken over and become uh, the, the commander of all things quantum realm and is planning his way of getting out of there uh, using the technology that that uh, well, that Hank Pym created. Uh, and that's essentially the idea here. Uh, mostly it's just about establishing the new Thanos, which is Kang. He's going forward. Kang is the man. Like the next the next Avengers movie is called Kang's Army or whatever it's called. The Kang like, Dynasty. Uh, yeah, Kang Dynasty. Like, this is about him. And Jonathan Majors is fantastic. He was great on Loki, where he kind of originated various different forms of this character. And that's really where we're headed, is this more of this Kang character, or variations of this Kang character as they explore. They're biting off way too way more, way more than they can chew with this whole multiverse thing. This isn't a bad movie, Jeff. I don't think I don't think it's a bad movie. I think it's a I think it's an okay movie. The thing that bothered me, though, the thing that really kind of stuck out to me is that there's really, other than Kang, who does, I, well, even him, nobody really has an arc. 
everybody pretty much starts off where they were and ends in pretty much the same place without having really learned anything or grown in any way. We've had a, a few entertaining action bits here, but nobody's any different by the end of this movie than they were at the start. Well, I mean, I think Janet Van Dyne, uh, Michelle Pfeiffer's character, I think she is. She gets We get some of the the backstory of, you know, the last 30 years in the quantum realm um, that kind of sets up the story, but also fleshes out her who's just, Oh my God, she's lost. Oh my God, she's found. Now we know a little bit. It's very begrudging though. (laughs) Like it's forced (laughs) by the plot. She's forced by the plot and essentially to, to, to finally reveal these things. She's not necessarily even afterwards more forthcoming or, or even really all that much closer to her family than she was before. Well, I mean, I disagree. I think, you know, this is stuff that, you know, when you get that, I should have told you and yeah, you could have told us and this would have probably never happened, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know? (laughs) So in a way it's her fault that Kang is coming to power Mm -hmm. again. So I don't know. I, I didn't love the movie. I didn't, hate the movie i was i liked it it was there were some funny bits um it was kind of almost a retread of the first one tonally Mm -hmm. you know uh, the second one is it's just kind of a you know up and down for me um really like the first one like this one but i kind of got that uh I just didn't think it was anything particularly new. Mm-hmm. Um, I I liked Kang. I like you know, Jonathan Majors as Kang, and I don't. Uh, you know, I've, I've had a lot of people say, "Oh, you know, it introduces him." And no, that was Loki. You didn't watch mm-hmm. the Loki series, but <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I like Jonathan Majors. Uh, sometimes his delivery, you know, like where he's coming at the, I'm confused because I'm not quite sure. Um, you know who I am anymore because I'm not this all powerful being. That sometimes his delivery just kind of bothers me and his cadence. Mm-hmm. Uh, overall, I, though, but I, I think part of that though is is him trying to establish uh, several different versions of Kang. So he's got to give no, them oh, each no, I get that. an individual affectation. I get that. It's just he talked like my dad. You know, like <laughs> I, I don't hand me that that what. You know, that that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, I really, really enjoyed uh, how they introduced MODOK into the MCU. Um, <laughs> Corey Stoll <laughs> eating every single bit of scenery. And I had really, I had, because no, I, I don't know much about MODOK other than I think Patton Oswalt played him in a cartoon or something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's pretty much my, my, knowledge of him. I was not aware that the Corey Stahl character from the first Ant-Man was going to come back in this form. Well, that's not, that's not MODOK really. You know, that's not how MODOK was created or anything. Um, I that is how really... he's introduced here though. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. But in the comics, that's not how he's created and not who he is. I did mm-hmm. like how um, <laughs> my friend Marjorie actually was obsessed with MODOK for a while. I don't know why. Uh, I think he just because his design looks so crazy. He looks a lot more like the mask that Corey Stoll Modoc wears than actually Corey Stoll does. Um, 
and he's just like he's insane and <laughs> i think they did a really good job of blending him into the mcu and kind of wish that he was going to come back at some point just because he's so ridiculous did you watch teenage mutant ninja turtles uh no i did not well there's a character on there that looked that like the design is almost completely <laughs> the same <laughs> same in some ways a character called krang who's a bad guy in their oh, yeah. universe and yeah it's like, I, I know who that is yeah yeah no it's weird <laughs> it's weird the like this the similarity is sort of strange i don't know which came first or who influenced too but certainly there's something there yeah i don't i have to i would have to but look that I, up i don't know enough about him but i did enjoy uh i did enjoy uh stall cory stall he he's he seems to be enjoying himself and and the, really, the the best joke in the movie is just him being called Darren. Just people yeah, referring yeah. to him as Darren. Darren. <laughs> That's the best joke in the movie for me. <laughs> I, 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 we're 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 in agreement on this movie. I mean, we both are, are in the same place of not hating this movie, but at the same time, yeah. like I, I was, I, I, I kind of wanted to see something more of Scott Lang. I wanted to see you know, him become better, but he seems, he still seems like the same affable doofus from the, from the first film. And not that I mind again, Paul Rudd does affable doofus better than anybody, but <laughs> he's still there. The Scott Lang of Ant-Man one is still the Scott Lang of Ant-Man three. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I get that. I, so from the trailer, I got actually more from the trailer about him. Um, not having enough time with Cassie as a kid. I felt like I got more of that from the trailer than I did the actual movie. I actually um, felt that that, that that what was in the trailer wasn't even in the movie because the trailer makes it seem like Scott is going to not turn bad, but like maybe risk doing something damaging to the rest of the world in order to do something for himself. And that would have been a little bit of color that they could have brought to this character, him doing something that, that he knows might not be right because he's, you know, essentially rewriting time. And, but he does it anyway to get his time with Cassie. And then of course realizes he's wrong and maybe he has to end that particular universe and go back to his own. Like that would be a little bit of color they could have brought to this, but that really doesn't feel like it's at all present in, in there. Jonathan majors Kang seems to kind of introduce that idea, but then they drop it almost immediately. Yeah. I don't, I, there's something about Catherine Newton who plays Cassie, who Mm -hmm. just kind of bothers me. And I don't know if it's, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's like the way she acts some stuff and how she always kind of feels like she's, trying to get through stuff mm-hmm. like i liked freaky the movie you know that she starred in and but it always felt like she was trying it was trying to rush something you know okay yeah. i'm in this movie but i want to get to the end of it that's the i that's kind of the impression i get from her so that's the writing uh, for her is 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 yeah it's a little thin like that that i feel like we've seen that idea of like a shortcut to telling you that a character is a rebel is by having them Oh, dad's got to pick her up from jail. You yeah. Know, like, <laughs> and, uh, and I, you know, they, they, they introduce a bit with her where she's supposed to be, where she's supposed to be kind of a, uh, a protester and, and trying to protest for social justice. We don't know enough about what social justice is like in the Marvel universe. 
uh, yeah. to actually get some context for that because it it can't be anything like what we are what we have uh you know in terms of real life like it can't be anywhere near that the marvel because considering eventually lily's character for one i mean there are so many versions of that character who are super smart and have all the money and they're social justice warriors like they're they're good people on the on the right side of history who are you know changing the world and helping people if there're like 15 of them if it's like her and pepper pots and anybody else wakanda then probably there aren't any problems there's probably not a trump in this universe like there are big bads like kang coming yeah. but like in terms of social justice like it appears that the rich people are all great in the MCU well she sa- she makes she says you know they were dismantling homeless camps in the park and i was like pepper pots would not let homelessness stand exactly that's my, that was the thought that i had i was exactly. like um there would not be any homeless people uh in the marvel universe because pepper pots took tony's money mm-hmm. and built housing for people um yeah. i'm assuming that because of the way that uh you know the Scott had to write a book. However, I think that pretty sure that they have universal basic income in the Marvel universe because nobody seems to really have to work a, a super high powered job or, you know, there's not a lot of, um, you know, grunt work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> a, you know, I, I, ju- I think that I, yeah, I just, it, that, that brings up a whole, well, how is the Marvel Universe different from from ours? That would be one of them. Would you have to UBI and ending homelessness? Um, do you think that with Black Panther, um, you know, would there be well, cancer's right? cured? You know, you, yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, in the in the universe, not in real life, but right, right. Uh, but you know, it's a, it's funny though. There there is like a, there was an attempt uh, to make a TV show on ABC that sort of addressed this idea where it was a, it was a comedy about this group of characters whose job it was, was to clean up messes left behind by the Avengers. Oh yeah. 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 And that's yeah. how kind of like a lot of people in the Marvel universe are employed in, in kind of fixing things after a big, you know, Avengers fight has happened. And mm-hmm. that was a great idea. I wish that kind of thing existed in the Marvel universe, in the John wick universe, they've got a great one where, and there's so much world building in that, in that series where, like John Wick kills a bunch of guys at his house and then he makes a phone call and some guys show up and clean up the mess. And it's like, this is what we do. We just take dead bodies of, of people away. And there's like a whole service industry for killers <laughs> in the John Wick universe that just gives that so much, you know, uniqueness. I would love to see something like that introduced into the Marvel universe. They tried and apparently it failed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think they have to do it in the movie. I think they yeah. well they did it in uh, Spider Man, kind of um, yeah with the with Michael know. Keaton's character yeah 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 with the Vulture. Um, I I I didn't I really didn't hate this movie, but and I want to see it again because I know that there's shit that I missed. Every Marvel movie you have to see it at least a couple times to get it, and you like I I get the argument that you shouldn't have to, mm-hmm. but it's like it's so layered that you want to. And the only movie I didn't, the only Marvel movie I didn't see more than once in the theater, uh, no, actually I did see it twice. Was I was going to say Eternals, but mm-hmm. uh, it was um, uh, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. I didn't see that twice in the theater because it, somebody had it, 
that I didn't have to go back to the theater for it. But, mm. you know, I, I'm going to go see this. I missed a little bit in the, in the middle. So I had to uh, um, take a phone call and then uh, had to leave before the end credits, before the after credit scene. So I definitely yeah. want to go see it again. I, I, the, uh, um, what was I going to say? I had a thing. Um, oh, Multiverse of Madness. You know, of course, I hate that movie and I would never watch that again <laughs> ever. This is a, at least a nice you know, course correction from that. This is certainly a bounce back for the idea of a multiverse. I appreciated that. Uh, this isn't as ugly this isn't as ugly and nasty as that uh people are saying this is an ugly movie though i disagree with that completely whatever it's not ugly it's it's a lived in universe it's like a it's like a star wars planet like yeah. the quantum yeah. world is like a star wars planet uh they've ripped off a bunch of like star wars kind of creature design and, and not yeah, i rip saw off, a couple like, that i was like hey yeah. that was that was from <laughs> yeah I, but I didn't mind that. I thought that's a nice bit of you know world building and kind of uh, an homage. I don't think it was necessarily you know stealing, uh, just an homage. But I didn't think this was a bad looking movie, really. No, uh, what I want to what I want to watch every movie in the multiverse, you know, or in the quantum realm. No, no. There's so much going on that it sometimes gets distracting. But you know, every few movies, if they you know if they did a couple scenes in the quantum realm, I would be down for that i don't get where the people are saying it's ugly i think it was beautiful yeah that's Even, I, f- I find that to be a very odd take and and there's a lot yeah. of people who are calling out the, as well the uh uh the special effects they didn't think the special effects were great i don't think the special effects were that bad well i know they used the same technology that they use for the mandalorian on disney plus mm-hmm. uh, I the name of it is uh is will come up to, will come to me later but it's basically it's an immersive screen that they act in front of, and there are just elements, you know, on the floor, like what George Lucas would have eventually gotten to if he kept making movies like the prequel trilogy, where you know just half sets and the rest was CGI. Um, and I can't think of the name of it; and it's going to drive me nuts. And everybody <laughs> who's listening to this is like, well, "It's called this," and uh, <laughs> um, but I. I, that thinking about that kind of hit me, you know, a couple times. I'm like, oh, they're just in front of a screen, and then I was like, oh wait, no, uh, they're. This looks more real than I thought it was, and mm-hmm. so. What did you think of Michael Douglas? I thought he looked kind of bored and checked out, and they didn't really give him all that much to do. I actually, I. I mean, he didn't. Yeah, he didn't get a, a you know enough to do in it. But I really I like him as Hank Pym. Mm-hmm. Um, I what he was given, I think he did really well with, and I like the whole. He he is a little world weary, and the fact that he has you know that moment where he was like he brings all the ants that fell from his ant farm. Yeah, and then he's like, he goes, "What did you think I was doing? I'm Ant Man, you know." <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, "Yeah, that he is." Um, I, as a huge Michelle Pfeiffer fan, who I wasn't a Michelle Pfeiffer fan until Batman Returns. Yeah, but as a as a now huge fan of hers, I I loved that she was 
kind of the star of the movie. She's definitely like she's got a better if there is an arc in the movie, she's got a better one than most. That's for sure. At least she has one where she's going from, you know, trying to not reveal herself to kind of being pushed into revealing herself. Uh, there's a certain level of catharsis for what she does. So, yeah, I I definitely agree with that. Yeah, I, and I think that, you know, when you when you can't. You can't give everybody the same amount of time, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think the fact that if you're, if you're, if I had to pick between Michael Douglas and Michelle Pfeiffer for an arc and for, you know, more of a more screen time, I would pick her uh, just because we've seen him in two movies yeah. doing his thing, but she's never really had a chance to shine in this uh, universe, I guess. I would have liked to see more more of her with uh, Jonathan Majors. I thought that was really good stuff. Uh, if there's something that's that's quite obviously cut back in this movie, it's Evangeline Lilly, uh, the wasp, the wasp role in here. Me. I'm not going to disagree with that. Uh, but it's like you can almost sense where like she was supposed to have more scenes or or more dialogue. Uh, and they cut it out like her just arriving in certain scenes where it's like her and Scott or like at the end, she's got a big bit uh, at the end. It's very important where she seems to it, she and I want to give away too many spoilers, but like she has a big moment right at the end and it feels so rushed because there was no yeah. like she doesn't have any arc whatsoever and she's off screen a lot and a lot of what she's doing is just asking Michelle Pfeiffer questions that's pretty much what she's there for and I thought that's kind of funny yeah I I mean I I'm not a big fan of hers just in general um but I really think that you're right uh it looks like they they there was probably quite a bit cut out of this movie it looked like they tried to get the um uh, get the runtime down a little bit because some of the Marvel movies have gotten totally bloated as far as runtimes and things like, Oh, the volume, that's the name of the screen technology that the Mandalorian use that they use on this movie. Sorry. <laughs> um, right. it, yeah. Um, I don't think that I, I didn't miss her. No, I could she tell. Missed, yeah. Yeah. I could tell when it was like, Oh, okay. They're going to, that she would have been here and she would have been here. Um, and I even think at some points, uh, Scott was cut out a little bit. Um, cause there's a couple scenes of him that felt a little rushed. Well, and I like think it, that I mean, was, the stuff that's in the trailer. Yeah. I mean, yeah. like that, that whole arc of his in, that's in the trailer about pretend, like there's a scene in the trailer of, of young Cassie and we don't yeah. see that in the movie that does not exist. I mean, maybe a, like a brief, like flicker of a flashback that that is not part of this film. Yeah. Oh, I, 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 it's good. It's passable. It's a, yeah, you know, it's, it's, a, think- a middle, it's a middle marble Marvel movie. It's a table setter, and and it's funny because Peyton Reed was like, uh, "I'm tired of being the table setter. I'm tired of not being the main course of of the Marvel universe." And this is not a main course. Uh, this is a setup. This is a table yeah. setter. This is all about setting up who Kang is and who the Kang variations are, and uh, what their role is going to be going forward in 
in uh, the Marvel Universe as, again, the new Thanos, the, the big bad that everybody's going to have to work together to stop. That's who Kang is, and this is about setting him up. And they picked the right actor. I mean, Jonathan Majors is fantastic, as we mentioned. Uh, he's the right actor for this, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm I'm interested to see what they do. I also think there's going to be an elevation of a particular character who shows up in at the at the very end of the of the uh end credits i think that character uh is going to get a, a big upgrade at least uh the tv show will certainly do something but like that i think wonder if in reintroducing that character into the movie universe is going to be fun and exciting and and i'm i'm, I'm excited to see that happen yeah well any other thoughts on uh Ant- Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania? Uh, I'm, I'm, do you think no, they I think cut I've out, said, do you think they cut out some Bill Murray too? Um, possibly. I don't, I, maybe a little bit. There probably was a flashback or something with them, but. How do you write a Bill Murray character? I mean, like, because Bill Murray just comes in and is Bill Murray, and then Michelle Pfeiffer basically assigns him a backstory, <laughs> yeah, dialogue, and he's like, "Yeah, sure, that's who I am." <laughs> and he kind of <laughs> delivers a few plot points, and then he's Bill Murray again, and he's gone. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, Bill Murray. I don't think he plays anybody but Bill Murray anymore. So I'm glad he wasn't throughout the movie. Yeah, definitely. Um, because he can't really, he's always playing uh, his Ghostbusters character. Uh, Peter Venkman. Yes, thank you. Um, he's. I, I watched Ghostbusters for the first time five or six years ago, and I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, he's just playing that character the rest of his career. So. <laughs> And also, isn't this the character that he plays is, is is essentially just he's playing the same vibe as Jeff Goldblum played in Thor Ragnarok? Like yeah. he's playing the same vibe, the same libertine vibe, and it's like, no, I mean we've already got too many of these. <laughs> it's already yeah, Jeff Goldblum already did this. It's we don't need you anymore. Go go. Nobody does it quite as well as Jeff Goldblum either. Yeah. Um, you know, his whole persona now is just like, I am the coolest guy who ever lived. And Bill <laughs> Murray is, uh, he's pr- a little problematic and I hate that word, but he's a little problematic. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, that's a, just one last observation. I think people are going to wonder if I didn't, if we didn't bring it up. So yeah, there's a, it's, it's weird to have, <laughs> it's weird to have these sort of, real life villains showing up as uh, in these movies and having to work, having the characters that we like having to work around them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, our next movie is Marlowe starring Liam Neeson. Uh, this is a course, a take on the Raymond Chandler novels, uh, the Philip Marlowe detective character that has been a staple of films since the 1930s. Uh, this time, he's a, a detective, of course, in Hollywood who's investigating a missing persons case in which a guy was uh, seemingly just disappeared, but he may also be dead or he may not be dead. It's all linked to drugs. And I this is directed by Neil Jordan and written by William Monaghan. And Jeff, I watched this movie this afternoon and I'm still going, how in the hell 
does Neil Jordan, who is amazing, direct a movie this badly? Like, it, he could not care less about yeah. this. I was blown away by just how slapdash this is. I can definitely see it since from the story here that there's a lot of dialogue and William Monaghan is loving, you know, kind of trying to be Raymond Chandler and write Raymond Chandler style dialogue, but it doesn't fit with these actors at all. Liam Neeson for one cannot deliver this material in any way. Liam Neeson is kind of embarrassing in this movie. Yes. Thank you. (laughs) He, he has absolutely no chemistry with, anybody else on screen None. i know that he and diane kruger have worked together before and actually they were in unknown together and i really liked that movie but i just first of all the source material yeah this is not raymond chandler and it shows yeah. i don't know how i listen to a lot of raymond chandler stuff um during 2020 when i was you know kind of just hanging out in la and i love 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 that history you know that dark kind of the dark history of la and that kind of stuff um but when i was living there i tried to kind of immerse myself in it when there was nothing else to do because of the pandemic and i i this did not make me want to read any of the new uh the new stuff just it's it doesn't have that same flavor um as somebody who enjoys that kind of hard-boiled detective stuff from the 30s and 40s that Humphrey Bogart did so well, this is, he's just, A, he's 70 years old. Yeah. Philip Marlowe, I don't know if that's if that's because of the source material. I don't know if he's much older or what, but I, I could not and will not <laughs> accept him as a 70-year-old who's still you know, chop sake people and, you know, like doing all this stuff. It just, it took me out of it. Um, yeah. I, There's a, he's got a moment in this movie where he's, he's talking to one of his cop friends uh, played by Cole Meany. And he says something about, uh, could this get me my badge back? Like he wants to go back. Cause I guess yeah. Philip Marlowe used to be a cop. And I'm like, no, huh, sweetheart, you don't know. <laughs> sweetie, no, <laughs> you, no, you, you, need, you don't you don't need your badge back. You need a nap. Okay. We need to put you to we need to put grandpa to bed. <laughs> like you need a, he, you need some warm milk and a book. The <laughs> only character the only character in this movie that I just kind of connected with, and even I didn't because the writing was not good, was um Jessica Lang and it was Dorothy Quinn Cannon. Mm-hmm. I, I, I like her a lot and I she was age appropriate for yeah, him. She's like the, the actual age appropriate romance. The other one is like coming on to him and like let's let's bang and he's like, No, I can't. Yeah, it's yeah. because he does, it's because it's pre you know, this they didn't have boner pills back in that time period. Yeah. Uh, I don't when, could, yeah. <laughs> they're just physically incapable to perform is uh, <laughs> the is the reason I'm seventy, can't. Diane. What do you expect me to do? <laughs> This fuck you. Um, <laughs> no, I, so I like the old hard boiled detective stories and all that. And they just, because they're conv- they're a lot of times convoluted, but mm. you can follow them. There were times in the movie and granted I was tired. It was after work and I was like, okay, 
kind of tired, but I'm going to soldier through. And a couple times I was like, I think I could just take a nap. I don't, I'm it is not following incredibly who boring. anybody is. Yeah. It's incredibly um, boring because this plot does not matter in the slightest. No. The, the guy, the main guy that he's searching for is supposed to be dead. He's not dead. He's been hiding out. Uh, Diane Kruger sees him somewhere after he's been supposedly killed. Uh, why he even chooses to go through with this case. There's a yeah. scene where Liam Neeson goes to talk to Diane Kruger. And he's found out that this guy, uh, he's found out at this point that he thinks the guy might be dead or he's been told that the guy is dead and he goes to Diane Kruger and she's just lying to him and lying to her husband and lying in front of him. And he seems to take a stand. Like, I'm not going to let you lie to me anymore. And he walks away and then he goes and continues to investigate the case. Like, is there a scene missing where uh, there's another scene where he's talking to Jessica Lang and she's like offering him money to, you know, work for her and, and, you know, solve the case for her. And he just, I've already been paid. And I'm like, when I didn't see that she never paid you. You've never put money on the table here. What is going on? Why And why not take her money? She's asking you to investigate the same damn thing. Take her money. What's the problem? It's like they, they want to give him a, a moral code, but they never establish it with any kind of dialogue or any type of action. He he's doesn't have the kind of charisma it takes to communicate any type of deeper meaning or moral code or judgment. And the movie doesn't give him any action to enact that, to communicate that to you. It's enacting what it's enacting is a series of of things that are familiar to like if you if you were to if someone were to tell you what a Raymond Chandler story is like, this is what this is kind of like the 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 dummies version of a Raymond Chandler novel. Yeah. It's like cherry picking little tiny things that that fit within that universe, but that he never actually wrote. I Benjamin Black, who wrote the the Black Eyed Blonde that it's based on, is I I I would if this movie was better, I would go back and read that or listen to it, and I don't want to at all. I would mm-hmm. rather just go back and re-listen to something you know, you know something else that he did, like The Big Sleep. You know, I would rather I I I think what this movie is trying to like do is give Liam Neeson uh, like a period piece where you know it's taken in 1939 where he just gets to beat up people because that's who he is now as a, as an actor. Um, it didn't give him anything to no. do other than, you know, beat, beat some people up and he looked bored. He, he can't deliver this dialogue. No, when you when you are thinking about a neo noir movie, you want that snappy dialogue and the one liners. And if he tried that, I couldn't. I wouldn't have been able to understand it through his accent. And you know, there's a dropped line about, "Oh, I know Ireland well," and I was like, oh, "Okay, that's they're saying that because he can't do any other accent." Is <laughs> you know besides his his light. Irish accent. Um, Can I ask you something about Liam Neeson, though? Yeah. Has he has he ever really been like a charismatic movie star? Like he's always he's he's terrific and he can act and he can deliver like passion and he can deliver like drama. But like in terms of being a charismatic movie star, has he ever done that? Trying to, I mean. 
like Taken is not about him being charismatic. It's about him enacting, you know, some violence. And, you know, he looks fine doing the violence in those movies. They they do a good job of giving him a lot of lore that makes him seem like a a real badass. So that 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 worked for me. I'm not a I'm I'm a Taken fan. The first one. Uh, But like (laughs) any other time, like even his Batman character is not he's kind of charismatic, but he's also getting to play a lot of bad guy dialogue in a Batman movie. So it, it, he's a, it gets to be a little bit broad. I've just never yeah. seen him be the kind of character that these needs to be. You need a charismatic guy. You need a guy who walks in the room and goes, yes, we're following you wherever you go. Like I want to see, I could see maybe Bradley Cooper playing this role and bringing yeah. a lot of bringing something to it. That's more, and then just, you know, a little bit of grit. I could see uh, there's a number of different people who could bring a different energy and a lot more charisma to this than than he does. He's just completely miscast. I could see Paul Rudd playing this role. That would be world. amazing. Because he's charismatic. He's kind of a lovable loser in the first Ant-Man. You know, he's he lost everything. And that's what you need for this is you need somebody who has had a lot of stuff in their past, not, not, you know, 50 years past, but like 20 years in your past, you've had a lot of ups and downs. Um, Titus Welliver would be amazing in this role. That's the guy Uh, who played Bosch, right? Yeah. Yeah. He plays Bosch. He was in lost, you know, he, he's got that, that care, that charismatic kind of, well, I fucked up before and I'll fuck up again, but I'm going to do what it, I'm going to do what it takes to get the job done. Mm-hmm. And a little a little world weary. Yeah. Not not like a cipher. Like and I think that's kind of how Liam yeah. Neeson was playing it was just a you know, he's like, "Okay, well, I don't really know what to do. I'm too old to be playing this role and I just I'm going to throw a few punches, but they're going to cut back and forth really quick. So you can't see me clutching my back. You know, it was, I just, it took me out of it. I kept Absolutely. thinking, I kept thinking that, you know, he should be 50 max yeah, at the very least. Yeah. I would, you know, it would be um, like a late nineties. Bruce Willis could play this yeah. character very, yeah. very well. Back when oh, he was still John McClain. Yeah. John yeah, McClain he- <laughs> would be the perfect Philip Marlowe. Yeah, he's like he he's he's charismatic and when he cared, you know, back in the time when he actually cared. <laughs> not to knock him yeah. now, it's not that he doesn't care now, it's that he's very ill now and I'm sorry to say yeah. that. But like it, it, there's a time in his career where he just wasn't performing like the the most recent Die Hard movies. But like the late 90s though, Bruce Willis would have been great for this. Or even mm-hmm. Billy Bob Thornton. Like Billy Bob Thornton would play this role a lot better yeah. than Liam Neeson would. Liam Neeson, honestly, it's embarrassing to watch him try and try and wrap his mouth around the dialogue that William Monaghan wants him to say. And it's also the the dialogue itself is embarrassing. The the yeah. amount of uh, exposition that they do, a very clumsy expedi- exposition that they do in this movie, given you know the skill of William Monaghan. He's trying to write Raymond Chandler, but also like, okay, I, I can't let loose of the plot, too. I got to make sure people understand what the plot is and who these characters yeah. are. There's the introduction of, like, Cole Meany's character, and uh, it's so weird. Like, Liam Neeson answers the door, and he goes, Detective William Ole. <laughs> it's like, yeah. like, he says his yeah. full name. Like, he does, like, 
like he doesn't know what his name is. Like, yeah, we he knows what his name is, dude. <laughs> he knows who D- he is. You know, he's 70. Is he starting to get some sort of like mild dementia where he has to repeat people's names so he doesn't forget them? <laughs> is that what it is? I don't like. I don't know. Be- I. Who's he doing that for? Who did he say that for? He said it just for us. And I hate dialogue like that. It drives me up a fucking wall when people who know each other introduce each other by Detective William Oil. Like, like, of course, that's who it is. You know him. If he did, if he did it once, you know, if it was like, if it was just a just, well, 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 look who's here. But instead, it's like I'm telling everybody who's here. You know? Yeah. Um. <laughs> And I think that a lot of that is delivery. If you had Humphrey Bogart doing that, the laconic way he speaks and handles this character, I would buy it more. Because mm-hmm. what they're trying to do is they're trying to take 30s and 40s dialogue and um, cadences, but they're taking away the cadences and you're just left with the dialogue, which doesn't work today. Yeah, Absolutely. It's like no. a hammer. It's it's just it's just a hammering you over and over again with how unusual the way this way of speaking is, as opposed to making it feel natural in any way. It's not directed naturally. Like again, the Neil Jordan is just a director for hire here. Uh, you yeah. you can see the the boring setups on, on, on in the direction the the way he frames things. He's just like I'm going to do a couple things that are maybe kind of visually interesting to me, but I'm not going to invest in this movie because I just don't care. <laughs> right, well, so we we watched the Crying Game for the '93 podcast, and I was so looking for. At, remember, I said I yep. I really want to see Marlo now because I want to see what he can do with that character. Well, he doesn't do anything with it. Nope. <laughs> There's nothing fresh or new. Um, this could have you been know, any director because there's no Neil Jordan to this whatsoever. Yeah, I think he, yeah. I think he did this as a favor to Liam Neeson or something like just I'm, I'll, <laughs> whatever. I'll just come over and, and put that movie. I'll, I'll direct that for you. It's fine. Well, I'll just knock it out. What we got three weeks. Fine. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I was trying to think, you know, what would make this, you know, what could I, what could I gain from, from this movie? later and i thought about it all last night went to the gym and i was like oh god it just kept bugging me and i was like i really really didn't like it and then i thought about it like you know what i want to see now i want to see a cedric movie um Mm -hmm. the Mm -hmm. the driver yeah he was he was on screen i i don't know a whole 10 minutes out of the movie max and he was more interesting than Philip Marlowe. Well, and there again, <laughs> you, know, you have a character who's just clumsily, you know, forced into this universe late in the movie. Like they do nothing to 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 layer in these characters. It's just like this guy's here now, and he's got main character energy. He's just Alan Cumming and and Adewale Gunley are here now, and they're in the movie, and they're important. And like, how are they important? <laughs> you know, they're talking about a character named Serena. Who's Serena? How the fuck knows? I have no. The- that yeah. nobody we'll never find out <laughs> doesn't matter uh yeah. i think it's the statue but i'm not i don't it's care the sta- yeah, it's the statue, i, I don't i don't care <laughs> i don't even it was the statue made of cocaine fine sure okay whatever doesn't matter <laughs> uh 
Oh, we haven't even mentioned that Danny Houston is here playing the Danny Houston character because that's what Danny Houston uh, does. Like <laughs> every so Danny, movie. Danny every Houston movie. and Jessica Lange were in a season of um, American Horror Story together. Yeah. And it was Coven and their their chemistry was so good together that I heard they were both in this movie. I'm like, please, please, please let them work together let them do something together and there wasn't nope and not a, just, not a was, single scene <laughs> he was playing this as flat as when he was in the, the double movie the other day um, consecration yeah yes you know my least p- favorite part of that movie was him and he's well i can't say he's my least favorite part of this movie but he no. doesn't do it. You know, he sadly, sadly, the star of this movie is the worst part of this movie. <laughs> Danny Houston, true. though, like, stop. I mean, I don't I, I think he's a great actor and I don't want to say stop casting him, but stop casting him. Honestly, stop. Stop taking this role. This, we already know when we see Danny Houston, like, OK, there's the bad guy. Like, it's it's yeah. a tired cliche. It's like Sean Bean dying now. It's Danny Houston's the villain. Like it, it's just stop doing this, man. You're 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 ruining movies now with your appearance, and you shouldn't. You're a good actor. You shouldn't be ruining movies when you show up. Uh, yeah. It's it's really it's really unfortunate that that, that that's who he is now. Uh, <laughs> oh my god! And then you know, Jessica Lang just completely wasted. Like you've got this great, brilliant actress who could probably she could probably elevate. Liam Neeson's performance if they went that direction, but of course they're not going to because this right. is this is a Hollywood movie. So of course the younger actress is the one, even though she's like she's like his age. <laughs> like it would be perfectly appropriate for the two of them to have, yeah, to have exactly. a relationship I, and an interaction. And he seems actually to kind of come alive a little bit in scenes with her. She's the yeah. only one who seems to be playing the time period correctly. She's the only one who can deliver this dialogue correctly. Like she's in a different movie. She just, she's, she's one of the best actresses out there still. Um, she's been in so many, many good things. Um, she's elevated bad things. Uh, I just wish that she had, you know, I wish that she had had more to do mm-hmm. that wasn't just reacting to the other characters. Yeah. It, you know, and it, she, it's so she is age appropriate. You know, that's, yeah. she's only a couple years older than he is. Whereas he, he seemed to kind of blow, he seemed to kind of blow the dust off his dick a little bit when she was in the room. Like, honestly, yeah. like he seemed a little bit more interested when she was there. Uh, and he seemed slightly more interesting when she was there. But uh, yeah, of course, the movie can't go there. Right. Because you wouldn't want to give a 70 year old woman anything sexual to do. Unless tell <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Diane Kruger is an amazing actress and just completely wasted this performance. You know, not much of anything that she has to do makes much sense. Um, she's the she's the subject of the plot. She's the driver of the plot, but the resolution of that plot is terrible uh, and almost borderline nonsensical. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's subject to a character who is rarely ever on screen. And when he is, he's not particularly interesting. And then he becomes essentially the, the most important character in the movie who we 
barely know anything about. Like, yeah. who wrote that? Who wrote that idea? You know, when I was watching this at first, I was like, I was really excited to, to sit down and be immersed in the world. Mm-hmm. But I think what I wanted was Nightmare Alley. Yeah. That that was a noir movie. That was neo-noir. That was beautifully shot. It was inspired direction. It had all it ha- it was it was if this movie was good, it would be Nightmare Alley. Amen. That movie's fantastic. And it's got like the that classic uh, noir idea about people who are putting a lot on the line with a lot to lose. And it, Bradley Cooper especially you know, is a, is kind of a foolish character, but he's got big ideas and big dreams and a lot to lose. And that's fantastic. That sets up a perfect ending for him, you know. And yeah. uh, all, everybody's kind of shades of gray. There's no, there's nothing good. There's nothing bad. And it's 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 really just it's wonderful. That's a wonderful film, and it's a great comparison. And like that's probably why I, where I pulled the Bradley Cooper casting for this mm-hmm. from my head just now well, that you mentioned it. And in in classic noir, everybody has a motive for something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whatever the plot device is, everyone has a motive or a need for that. Like the Maltese Falcon, everybody's after this MacGuffin, which is the Falcon. Everybody has ulterior motives. Nightmare Alley said everybody has ulterior motives in that movie. Yeah. And in, <laughs> that's everybody here is supposed to, but everybody kind of has exterior motives <laughs> you know everybody <laughs> i want to find my lover okay well he's dead no he's not i i saw him that's i'm just fucking with you a little bit to pad the movie's runtime um <laughs> you know and danny easton was just i i, I run this place and i'm a, i'm running a whorehouse and i want to i want to get away with that so i'm gonna have a bunch of dead guys sitting around in a <laughs> I didn't get that either. I was I, like, that didn't make any sense. Wouldn't you bury them? <laughs> yeah, just bury sure. them. Don't leave your dead people laying around, especially in this way. Uh, also, like you're supposed uh, to bury them in the desert. Didn't you watch Bugsy? <laughs> exactly. Or literally anything about Las Vegas. Anyway, sir. <laughs> <laughs> but you mentioned you mentioned the MacGuffin. They introduced their MacGuffin in this movie in the last ten minutes. The last ten minutes, like suddenly there's a there's a very important briefcase. Like, what the yeah. hell? <laughs> I, I, the last ten minutes. No, this is not how you. This is not how you make a movie. It's, it's so literally bad. everybody should so be searching bad. for this briefcase. Yeah, everybody should want this. Also, I was just sitting there going, "Now wait a minute." Now I know he's talking about. He's talking about having all these props that he's selling, and the props, of course, are cover for drugs. But it's like I've kept track of all the drugs that I've sold on these on in this paper. I've been writing down everyone. Like, okay, what is that going to do in a court in a court of law? How's that going to hold up? <laughs> this is all I sold three pounds of cocaine on this day and two pounds of yeah. cocaine to this guy on this day. Like, what was he keeping track of? He's the he's the drug accountant. <laughs> I don't understand, but it was all it was all in a briefcase, and then it all just it was not in a briefcase <laughs> because they want to go for that noir tragedy ending where the the bad people get what they want, and the, it's like it was so just mediocre. It was just such a mediocre end. Yeah, I just i 
I, I just didn't connect with it at all. I was so disappointed because it looked like it was going to be a really good throwback, and it just wasn't. This much talent uh, should not be this bad. All right, just very quickly, Bob. Uh, you know, Liam, we're talking about a Liam Neeson movie. He's actually still trying to beat people up. <laughs> really? <laughs> and I just kept thinking when I when I was watching him punching people, and going like he's just going to break a hip. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was complaining about this. What seven, eight, five? I don't know how long we've been doing this podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's like a decade since Taken. Right. So mm-hmm. he was old then. <laughs> <laughs> now he's still he's still trying to do that stuff. It's crazy. Oh wow, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, I thought you'd like that. The, I, Jeff, do you remember? We used to have a meme on the show years ago about Bob, anytime Liam Neeson came up, Bob would say I could kick the shit out of him. <laughs> <laughs> well, he just he was like a great dramatic actor, and then he started doing action movies. It's like where the hell did that come from? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's an embarrassment, Bob. This movie is terrible, and he's really bad in it. It's sad. Yeah. When was the last time he's been good? I haven't really paid that much attention to him lately. It has been a while. It has been a while. Yeah. I mean, Taken. Because <laughs> I, I like Taken. If you can suspend you disbelief, know, I, yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I like Taken. I liked Unknown. You know, the. I don't remember, like, did I see the gray? The wolf one? Yeah. Um, mm. I mean, but... For a while, he was doing really well at doing that, and this just this is trying to be that, and it's not. It's just not good. No, it's terrible. All right, we're moving on to the classic, Bob. If you want to do whatever you're doing, we're going to talk about uh, the the big sleep. Uh, Humphrey Bogart's uh, Humphrey Bogart and uh, Lauren Bacall, 1946. Um, and of course, this is a a, a, a William Ch- a, a Chandler novel, Raymond Chandler novel. Uh, with uh, Howard Hawks directing, and this is how this is supposed to go. Like this movie is phenomenal. Uh, the a general hires a detective, Philip Marlowe, to look into a man who is trying to uh, blackmail him, related to debts uh, supposedly owed by his youngest daughter Carmen. Uh, the actual motivations of everybody involved really don't matter as much as what Philip Marlowe sort of represents which in this case for me he's so world weary and so like the lines on his face are just so worn into him it feels like to me like he is a perfect representation of the soul of america caught up in the the overall corruption of the world just kind of wearing down on this one guy and i just love that first of all the the whole thing basically stems from him just making a decision I think this general guy who's dying and has these two daughters isn't a bad guy. He was a hero in war. You know, I was in war. I re- I re- relate to him. I'm going to do something for this guy uh, by making sure that his daughter doesn't go to jail for murder. And maybe I'm kind of attracted to his other daughter. And again, so much chemistry and so much charisma coming off of Humphrey Bogart that that works. Like, all, as much as there are weird elements of plot that maybe are kind of picked up and dropped and elements that may not all come together as one big whole, it doesn't really matter because this is about the way in which a noir detective is sort of symbolic of that person who's sort of holding back 
holding that line, that gray area between evil and good. You know, the society of people who are just trying to get by every day and go to work and the society that's trying to steal from them or kill them or or kill people in their own sphere. And this is that one guy who's just been like designed by the universe to take on all of that and filter it out to the rest of the world. And I just love that. I love that as an idea. I love that as a character. And Bogart embodies that brilliantly. Jeff? Yeah, he's... Uh, <laughs> I'm looking at Bob as like this Bob was Oh, I mean, I, I didn't want to get in the way, but I'll let you go first. He... He is Philip Marlowe. Yeah. He is the way you play this. He is kind of the king of... of... noir. Um, his chemistry with Laura Bacall is obviously off the charts because they got married shortly after this... you know, this movie was done with. Uh, mm -hmm. principal photography it's just it's so I don't even, I don't even care about the plot it was just watching yeah. them talk to each other and there was a couple you know a couple times when I was like I can't wait I missed something because you really have to pay attention because it you know it's a Raymond Chandler novel you really have to pay attention and there was a couple times I had to rewind I was like oh okay okay get it now but I didn't care because they mm. were just it was so like the acting and the the ups and downs and will they or won't they that that's the best part about this movie is the chemistry between all the actors. Yeah, and if you guys don't mind me popping in, uh, please come. One please. thing that I love about this movie and many from this era is just, and I say this a lot with the classics, but you just don't ever feel like there's a studio getting involved with the filmmaking and the storytelling. And it's just mm -hmm. so fresh to go back and watch these movies. And uh, I, I just love, <laughs> love doing that because it's, it's just so different than what it is today. And I don't know, I, didn't, I came in the middle of your Marlowe discussion, but I'm assuming that played part of the role in why that movie was bad. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It may have. Uh, there's certainly a, possibly an element of, of, of that, uh, or perhaps a studio that tried to rescue this this monstrosity of a failure. But uh, the the thing about the thing about movies like this, about like The Big Sleep, is the feel. You know, the atmosphere, the the vibe. Uh, Howard Hawks understands how to create that. He understands how to you know use Bogart within that, and he and Bogart have the just the perfect. You know, partnership in what they're trying to communicate. You know, the 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 bigger ideas about this, and you know, just the natural quality that Bogart has in delivering, you know, lines or, or dialogue that uh, might seem unnatural delivered by anybody else, as demonstrated. Not everybody can do this. Liam Neeson cannot do this at all. But Bogart, it feels like Bogart. It feels like. He is, like you said, he is Philip Marlowe. He is this character. He feels the, this is how this character talks. It makes perfect sense coming from him. It makes perfect sense coming from Lauren Bacall. The way she talks, the way she sings, the way she moves, it's perfectly natural within this universe. And I just none of that, none of that comes through in, in the modern Marlowe. Yeah, yeah. You know what a better... Yeah. A better if they're going to make a modern Marlowe or a modern movie like this, 
Joaquin Phoenix and P.T. Anderson's movie from a few years ago, Inherent Vice, is a way better Marlowe movie than than this piece of shit Marlowe movie that we got. (laughs) Yeah, I I just can't. It's so hard to compare them because I could sit and watch Humphrey Bogart play Philip Marlowe in a hundred movies. And if I had to sit through another Liam Neeson one, I'd probably just kill myself. (laughs) I don't want to bear the boredom again. I really don't. Can I ask a question? I don't want to go backwards because I, like I said, I missed part of the discussion, but was Liam Neeson trying to be Bogart in this? Is that part of the problem? No. Okay. I think he, no, I think he's, he's trying to be Philip Marlowe and he's trying to create his own Philip Marlowe, but like he just can't, can't do it. He just can't punch his way through this dialogue. He's not a movie star. He's not, uh, he's an actor. He's a good actor at times. He's a fine dramatic actor from back in the day, but he is not a movie star. He doesn't have the, the premise and the, the presence of the charisma to, to make this work in this, this is a character that requires charisma to carry you over questions you might have about the plot, you know, because some of the plot of the big sleep, like who is the bad guy? Like, what is their motivation? What are they trying to get? What happened to the dead body? Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it's not, not as important as what Bogart is doing as a symbol of like, again, when I was talking about that, that line between good and evil, the, I was in my review, I went on this weird tangent of comparing him to John Coffey in the green mile. Cause you know, John Coffey sucks out the, the disease from a good person and blows it out into the universe to, to get rid of it. That's kind of what Marlowe does. He suffers for, for the rest of us. He's suffering for those of us who want to pretend that there isn't, you know, crime around every corner and corruption in every corner. He's suffering that for us and looking at it directly, whereas we're off here doing whatever we're doing. It's kind of reminded me of the Big Lebowski, because, again, that's an also, also a much better modern version of Marlowe is the Big Lebowski. He's you know, he, The dude is out there being the dude for the rest of us who can't be the dude. It's like, <laughs> it's very fun. That's a very funny idea. But uh, Marlowe, I, I, I really buy into that that sort of comparison between him and John Coffey in that weird sort of way. He's doing the things that we can't. I mean, he it, has the strength and presence that we don't. Okay, I think I was misunderstanding it for a second there. I thought you were like using a Jesus reference, but going to John Coffey <laughs> instead of Jesus. <laughs> Is that like your go-to? No, not Jesus. No, <laughs> no I know. No, you mean. I misunderstood of, where you started from, but now I yeah. get where you're at now. Just taking, he takes the disease out of people and and filters that out away from the good people to the right, bad people, right. you know? Uh, and that's what Bogart's, you know, Philip Marlowe is the lie. He's, he's the guy who has to force, has to face corruption while the rest of us don't. If that makes sense. Oh, 100%. <laughs> Any other thoughts guys on, on the big sleep? No, I, I just, I want everybody to see it. Um, what did you think, Jeff? Uh, I'm sorry to make this about gay, but uh, <laughs> the moment where Bogart codes him, seems to code himself as gay. What did you take? Did you take? Did you take that in at all, or did that occur to you? It really didn't. Um, I, you know, I kind of caught it, and I was like, "Nah, no, nah, not Philip Marlowe." 
<laughs> <laughs> Let the straights have this one. <laughs> I I really the 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 female characters who show up just briefly, like there's three of them at least that are just have smaller roles, but like they're they're incredible with him. They he he has chemistry with everyone. There's a character in this movie who just is a lady who works at a bookstore across the street from where Marlo needs to get to the thing he needs to watch. And I swear to God, they just immediately just their sexual chemistry off the charts. Yeah. They clearly went in the back and banged after she closed well, the store. Like, he played that, it that way. It's so cool. He's so he played cool it that, that way scene. because he yeah. thought, what, you know, what should I do? And he just said, you know what? I'm going to play it. Like they're going to go fuck in the back room after right. the scene. And that's kind of where you think it's going to lead because of the way he played it. But also, like she was in, she was down. She was DTF. She was all in. Like, <laughs> like it wasn't. He wasn't tricking her. He wasn't mo- manipulating her. Like she, used, he he rapped to her. She was down with it, and and that's the mm-hmm. way it went. And that was just a great scene. Their chemistry in that moment was just amazing. But then, like he has chemistry with a cab driver later. It's just like he he invests these other characters with with. Uh, with life, uh, both he and Hawks and Chandler, really. The way he acts, just in general, in a lot of other movies, y- you just want to be on screen with him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so true, so true. He's so amazing. I love this movie. I think it's an all-time classic. I'm glad we got to talk about it again. I'm glad I'm glad I got to write about it. I did a big uh, 1,400 word piece on this uh, for the first time, and. Uh, that's up at geeks.media and of course uh, I'll send it to you guys uh, to be in the notes and I just I, I adore this movie everybody should go see it it's it, it holds up it's watchable uh, just, it really is if you are into classic movies this is one you gotta make sure you see and do Liam Neeson a favor and don't see Marlo <laughs> yeah we want this to tank so they don't make any more <laughs> Just, just don't, just don't embarrass him by going to watch this movie. Titus Welliver plays much better Marlowe on Bosch and Bosch Legacy than Liam Neeson does in even one of his best scenes in this movie. There's so many better versions of Marlowe out there. There's no real reason to see that piece of trash. Yeah. All right, Bob, I wanted to bring you back in on this as well because we're we're moving on to the '93 movies. Jeff and I and Amy. Uh, Jeff joined us for the 93 podcast and we talked about the the crying game and I wanted to get your thoughts. Uh, Obviously, you and I have talked about the crying game before, but uh, we had a a good 80 minute conversation about it uh, that (laughs) went to some very unique directions. But talk about the crying game for you. Well, I I remember when we had it as our classic and, uh, you know, everybody knows the big shocking moment in the movie, but it that almost because it's become such a cinematic landmark uh it it almost takes away from how good the movie is you know people seem to have their focus shifted uh but it's such a solid movie and that that movie does not live and die by that scene (laughs) you know absolutely and I, i i remember that part of the conversation that you josh and i had at the time and it was just such a fantastic uh watch and so much more than I remembered it being uh, the first time I watched it. And I just, you know, I'm kind of being 
bland, broad with my description of because I haven't seen it since that day. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, I just remember remembering how much more the movie was and how much I liked it and how I feel like it's kind of been robbed because of pop culture. Amen. Yeah, we talked about that a little bit about all the various different jokes that were made and how, you know, the Ace Ventura thing, which certainly is not aged well at all. And uh, the the way in which well three days later. Very, well, that's true. But uh, the, the, I, I talked about it. I wrote, a, again, another article about this movie as well and how how very American it is that uh, we still that we're still like five year olds in this country. Where we're still fascinated by innies and outies. <laughs> that's that's the level that's the level of discourse that we that we brought in 93 and really still bring today to the idea of a of a trans woman in a movie uh who is just obsessed with innies and outies uh, i saw a penis points at penis that's pretty much the discourse uh, <laughs> and really yeah. it's so sad because this movie is so far ahead of its time it's so what we talked about on the show and you'll hear when when that show goes up is how amazingly sensitive and ahead of its time this movie really is in terms of you know having a trans character that is really not focused on the fact that they're trans like that's a fact of their life and Stephen Ray's kind of trying to pretend that's not a fact before he is fully confronted with it and how this is about revealing him uh, it's really just tremendous it's a tremendous film i wish i sorry i know jeff's up but i wish i could see it you know in the theater today without any knowledge of it you know you know just see it as a fresh new movie uh i it it just the experience just because it's such a great movie and it's so just so much more depth to it than what pop culture has turned it into Jeff, you want to share any thoughts? Um, no, you should go listen to the podcast and you can hear my thoughts on it. And yeah. all of our thoughts about the controversy surrounding it, the jokes surrounding it, and then how we get into politics for like four, <laughs> three, three or four hours. Everybody share the same political to... party? <laughs> or yeah. Just, okay. No fighting amongst <laughs> each other. That's good. Nah. No, there's no there's no political parties when it comes to talking about trans issues or gay issues on this show. Yeah. It's not a debate. Thank God. <laughs> All right. You're ready to make uh, it a debate, yeah, but you're going to lose. Exactly. Probably won't happen on this show. <laughs> uh, other movies that came out in 1993, The Temp came out. Um, what was it? Love Field? with Michelle Pfeiffer came out this week. Uh, yeah, I've seen The Temp. I've seen Love Field. I don't really have much memory of either movie. Um, the Temp, I think, is Laura Flynn Boyle. She's, like, trying to insinuate herself into some dude's life who's married or something. I don't care. <laughs> Any memory of these movies, Jeff? I, I think I saw commercials for love field and i feel like i may have watched the temp when it came out but i don't remember anything about it bob anything no. any memory at all i don't even, i don't <laughs> remember the names <laughs> in fact i didn't even have them written down as 93 movies so that's all. <laughs> uh yeah 
Uh, next week on the uh, on the uh, ninety three show, we're talking about Army of Darkness. So another another fascinating conversation, and weirdly, uh, probably for at least for me and Amy and MJ, three good movie or me and Amy at least three good movies in a row from ninety three after. The horrific start that this year had is kind of nice. Do you want to hear my favorite thing about Army of Darkness? Why don't we talk about it next week? <laughs> well, I can't do it. I can't. But I just want to say, just when you're going into it, know that Sam Raimi wanted to call it Medieval Dead and Universal mm-hmm. said no. That's dumb. So fuck them. That's like the best name ever. <laughs> That's a great name for that movie. That would, like me, that would make me like it more. No kidding. <laughs> Oh. That bums me out now. Thanks for ruining my night. <laughs> You're <laughs> such, welcome. That's such a fantastic name for <laughs> Evil Dead 3. Yeah. That would have been. Oh, Jesus. All uh, right. Let's. Uh, what else we got next week, Sean? Uh, cocaine Bear. Uh, I watched a movie called Linoleum with Jim Gaffigan, which uh, my review is already up for that. Um, I've got a review of the movie Jesus, Re- the Jesus Revolution, going up tomorrow. Uh, I'm not allowed to say how terrible that movie is. Uh, <laughs> Do we have to talk about Spoiler it? Spoiler alert! <laughs> bleep that! Bleep that! Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, and um, obviously everybody's just going to be talking about Cocaine Bear next week, so that's really the most important aspect. Uh, one of my most anticipated movies of the year. I hope it doesn't let us <laughs> I- down. I hope so. Yeah, I keep getting like the vibe of like snakes on a plane from it, which bothers me because snakes on a plane was a pretty big disappointment to me. So I'm worried about that aspect, but I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. Let me say this, though. There was I trying to avoid anything about it, but I did hear one very positive thing about it from Phil Nobile Jr., who's the uh, editor in chief at Fangoria magazine. Mm -hmm. A character actually uses the term cocaine bear in it. (laughs) <laughs> so like I'm here for it. It's uh, the, it's Ray Liotta's last movie. Well, let's all watch it in reverence of him. Yeah. I just want to see Alden Ehrenreich in something else too, because makes Solo two happen. I just want Elizabeth Banks to have success after Charlie's Angels <laughs> didn't go the way she yeah. wanted it to. <laughs> uh, so. Let's see. You guys ready for flick chart? Sure. Sure. The great dictator or the godfather? The godfather. But of course, I think the great dictator is a pretty incredible film as well. Yeah. Same. Inside out chronicle. Inside out. Yeah. Inside out. Agreed. Beverly Hills cop Two, Apollo 13. Beverly Hills Cop 2, I, another, another better Philip Marlowe movie. <laughs> Did you have to see Apollo 1 through 12 to get Apollo 13? Boo! Boo! <laughs> <laughs> Beverly Hills 2. Apocalypto, Lady Killers. Lady Killers. Yeah, I guess. I, I, just, don't like, I just don't like Apocalypto. I don't, Lady Killers isn't good. It's like the least of the Coen Brothers movies, but it's still a Coen Brothers movie. Hunt for Red October, Tommy Boy. Hunt for Red October. But I got a soft yeah. spot for Tommy Boy. That guy in a little coat. <laughs> hey, Richard. Well, that's how, my dad's name was Richard, so I used, I used to go, hey, Richard. But pissed him off. <laughs> like me when somebody says, my name is Jeff. 
<laughs> oh. Uh, cool runnings heat. Heat. Yeah, you guys, you guys could have it. Go ahead. Yeah, I just wanted to say fuck you if you pick cool runnings. <laughs> <laughs> The Great Gatsby 2013, The Godfather. Technically, I didn't vote on that. Uh, the Godfather. <laughs> Agreed. Do you? Yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah. Need for Speed, El Mariachi. El Mariachi. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah, El Mariachi. Agreed. Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker, The Great Gatsby. Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker. Yep, same here. My favorite Star Wars movie. Suck it, haters. <laughs> is that the one I like or the other one? Which one? I don't remember. The Ryan Johnson I thought you liked The Last Jedi. Last Jedi. You like The Last Jedi. <laughs> I fucked it's up. Like talking to my mom right now. <laughs> I, Did I like I, that movie? I am someone who thinks there are great things about every Star Wars movie, and there are shitty things about every Star Wars movie. Fight me. Except The Last Jedi. It's just great. <laughs> Canto Bite. Uh, the casino panel. The casino planet. Okay, I don't know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> Stranger than Paradise. Everything everywhere all at once. Everything everywhere all at once. Yep, same here. Yes. Boot Hill. Uh, never heard of it. I've also never, never seen Fantasia, Fantasia 2000 either. Thank you for smoking, Snake Eyes. Thank you for smoking. Uh, again, I've got I've got a new found appreciation for Snake Eyes. Yeah, I'm gonna say thank you for smoking. I agree completely. X Men Apocalypse, Man on Fire. Ooh, that's hard. Uh, they both yeah. kind of suck. They both kind of <laughs> suck. <laughs> we can just have never seen either one of them. <laughs> that's the best option. The Parent Trap Before Sunset. Before Sunset. Before Sunset. Primal Fear, 12 Angry Men, 1957. 12 Angry Men. Yeah. What a cast. Yeah, amazing. The Little Things Frequency. The Little Things. I... I don't remember it, but I don't know. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I just anything with Jim Caviezel that you know the most put upon man in Hollywood. I'm going to choose against it. Fair enough. Nobody has it harder than him because he's a Christian. <laughs> Literally, that's what he, he's like. He thinks it because he's a Christian. Yeah, a lot that, of them think that. <laughs> oh my God! Why do I look like Joe Rogan in the in the camera? <laughs> oh my God! <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I'm going to take a screenshot of that. <laughs> wow. Witness Bruce Almighty. <laughs> you Witness. really do look like Joe Rogan. <laughs> I agree. I didn't even vote. I was... <laughs> I... <laughs> Sorry. Oh, no, you're fine. Uh, Only the Strong, Diabolique. I'm not seeing Only the Strong, though apparently it might be coming up in 93, so maybe I'll see it then. <laughs> The Amazing Spider-Man 2, Diabolique. Uh, Diabolique is, is the yeah. better movie, yeah, but I liked yeah. The Amazing Spider-Man 2. Yeah, Diabolique. Why? What, are you going to fight me about it? 
<laughs> I'm just gonna keep doing that. So what do we pick? Diabolik, yeah. Alright. Planet of the Apes, American Werewolf in London. American no, Planet of the Apes for me. Yeah. American Werewolf in London. I need to rewatch American Werewolf in London. We need to make that a classic sometime. We keep talking about it, but uh, it's Planet of the Apes as of right now. We could even do it next week so we don't have to watch the other two that we talked about. I'm okay with that. <laughs> Let's do that. Why not? Okay. All right. Let me write that Why down. Why not? <laughs> That's next week's classic, American Werewolf in London. All right. Sorry for the dead air people at home. Return to Neverland, Cabin Fever. Which one is Return to Neverland? I don't remember that one. I've never seen that one. I've never seen it. Let's I think just... it's animated, isn't it? Uh, if it's oh, an, I've never seen it then. Damn it. Raging Bull, Cabin Fever. Raging Bull. Yeah, sure. That's fine. I agree. <laughs> I don't like either one of them. <laughs> I like Cabin Fever, but the hot chick, Panic Room. Panic, Panic Room. We were soldiers, Citizen Kane. Citizen Kane. <laughs> Um, I don't know. Uh, no, no. God. Citizen Canada's Richie Rich Lost in Space. Richie Rich. Okay. Um. Meh. I don't care. I don't care either. He said Richie Rich. It wins. Strange Days, The Prince of Egypt. Strange Days. Yeah. Rescue Dawn Mannequin. Rescue Dawn. Sure. Didn't care for either one of them, to be honest. 2012 Private Benjamin. Private Benjamin. Private Benjamin, but I have a soft spot in my heart for 2012 because I love, <laughs> disaster. I love disaster porn. Fair enough. I know what you oh. did last summer, American Sniper. American Sniper. I know what you did last summer. Fuck American Sniper. Bullshit propaganda. <laughs> fucking, fucking fuck, fuck. It's not fair. I have to pick American <laughs> Sniper after you said that. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I, yeah. It's I really you're, effective you're right, while you watch right it. Nut job. It's really effective while you watch And I haven't gone back since a lot of those opinions have come out. So. Seven Psychopaths, Frost Nixon. Frost Nixon. Oh, Frost Nixon is fine. Yeah. The Informant, Spawn. The Informant. Spawn, just to be... Did we like The Informant? I thought we hated it. I don't remember if I liked it or hated it. I just don't like Spawn. I'll go Spawn. Because I remember just being disappointed in the informant. Bubba Hotep last of the probably, Mohicans. I probably was, but yeah. <laughs> uh, Bubba Hotep. Yeah. I, it's nothing against Last of the Mohicans. It's probably a good movie. I just It looks like homework. It's always looked like homework to me, and I don't want to do homework. I want to watch something dumb like Bruce Bruce Campbell playing Elvis and <laughs> Ozzy Davis as Kennedy. I've never <laughs> seen Last of the Mohicans. I can't imagine Michael Mann making homework. <laughs> But <laughs> I can man- imagine Daniel Day Lewis, so 
mm-hmm. don't know that I want to see the combination. Train wreck private parts. This is hard. I, I really don't know which way to go on this. I love both of those movies. I think they're both hilarious. Um, I'm going to go private parts just because radio, I guess, because I'm in radio. Um, I, yeah, I'm going to go private parts for that, but I love both those movies. I like I like Trainwreck, but Private Parts I like a lot more. I haven't seen Private Parts in a long time. So I'll take Trainwreck. Accidentally walked out of High V with that uh, video cassette years ago. <laughs> you just picked it up off the wall, just like this I was going to buy now. it, and then I got distracted, <laughs> and the next thing I know, I'm in my car going, "Oh shit!" <laughs> that was free. <laughs> Let's go home. <laughs> Uh, Event Horizon, Birdman. Birdman. Yeah, even though Event Horizon is stupid fun. Good. Someone finally agrees with me on Event Horizon. (laughs) Scream 2, Anchorman. Scream 2. Anchorman. Scream 2, Sean. I admire Scream 2. I love (laughs) Anchorman. I would rather... I'm going to watch one. I'm going to watch Anchorman. I agree. Milk Hitch. Milk. Milk. Greed. Kingsman, The Golden Circle, Incredibles. Incredibles is the best Fantastic Four movie made to date. It's <laughs> not wrong. Uh, go ahead, you guys. Yeah, I don't. Doesn't matter to me. I don't like. I don't like the broy Kingsman vibe. I, I hear you, but there's some there's some deeper elements to the Incredibles that when you dig down on it, it's it's well problematic would be a way to put it. Well, we we did vote for American Sniper. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I can't get to the problematic part because of Bradley Cooper. Uh, Damnation, 1987, Les Mis, 2000. Never heard of Damnation. It's hell, I believe. Uh, this isn't. Grindhouse is really two movies, and sometimes it's both. One of them. <laughs> Either way, all right. Grindhouse, Les Mis. Les Mis, all the way. I love Les Mis. Grindhouse, just because somebody's got to speak up for horror on this fucking podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely love Grindhouse, but Les Mis is really. It would be closer if it was if it was just the Tarantino movie. If it were just Death Proof versus, Le- I would have to debate a little bit. But uh, if you're throwing in, but you have Planet Le- Terror, Les Mis, you fuck Planet Terror. Les Mis is one of the first movies on the show that you like, you know, really had at the top of your list. Absolutely, I love that movie. <clears throat> when Harry Met Sally, Signs, Signs. Yep, I love When Harry Met Sally, but Signs is terrific. I agree. RoboCop 3, Popeye. Popeye. Oh, yeah. Popeye by a lot. <laughs> Death to Smoochie, Hollywood Harry. Never heard of Hollywood Harry. Uh-oh. Death to Smoochie, The Green Hornet. Green Hornet. I, I really like Green Hornet. I don't mind Death to Smoochie. I think there's there's an element of Death to Smoochie that works, but it's not not enough to make it a really great movie. Whereas I really kind of, I really look back on Green Hornet and enjoy it. I'm going to say Death to Smoochie because a lot of good memories. First time I saw that movie. God, I'm about as 50-50 as it gets on this one. Uh, I'll go Death to Smoochie. 
The Living Daylights, Amityville Horror 05. Amityville Horror 05. <laughs> Even though it's terrible. Well, it does have Ronald, uh, Ryan Reynolds with his uh, shirt off a lot, so we'll go with that one. I couldn't get behind that. Uh, Planet of the Apes, Sweet November. Planet of the Apes. Abernes Planet. <laughs> <laughs> Hunger the Village. Hunger uh-huh. 2008. I'm not, not familiar with that one. I'm familiar with The Hunger, but it didn't come out in 2008. The Wolverine, <laughs> The Village. Uh, the Village, I guess, even though I'm not a fan. The Wolverine's pretty terrible. Uh, yeah, I like The Village. I'm not... Me too. It's not Holy my favorite shit. movie, but I like it. Yeah, I didn't... It's the fourth best of the first four, but I didn't hate it. <laughs> I thought it, I, <laughs> I was with it the whole time. Underworld, You, Me, and Dupree. Underworld. Uh, sure. Good, because I give two shits either way. <laughs> Who's standing up for horror now? <laughs> oh, that's horror? Yeah. 